Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Stephen Long. Welcome to the X Factor podcast. Uh, this is the uh, podcast for leaders by leaders. Uh, my guest today is Rich Gannon. Rich is a former NFL quarterback who uh, was selected to several pro-, pro Bowls and was actually the NFL MVP. Hi, Rich. How are you doing today? Steve, it's great to be with you. I don't know if I should call you Dr. Steve. Coach, I was fortunate to uh, to be on the same team back at the University of Delaware, and it's always great to see you, brother. Yeah, it's always great to see you. No, no Steve is fine these days. Steve is fine. So, uh, so wh- why don't you tell people what you're doing these days? Yeah, you know, I, I was lucky. I, I graduated from the University of Delaware in 1987, and I was fortunate to play 17 years in the NFL. And, and when I retired from the National Football League in 2004, I went to work for CBS Sports in 2005 and, and uh, still with CBS. I still do a show called NFL Monday QB, and I do NFL radio. I did, did that for seven years and took a little hiatus, and I'm back doing NFL radio a couple of days a week uh, on Sirius XM NFL radio. And uh, I also do some stuff with the 33rd team with Mike Tannenbaum and, and his group. And, and so uh, I keep busy and, and uh, still, you know, been around it. I've been around the NFL game for the better part of 37 years. And, and I love it. And I, I say all the time, Steve, I never worked a day in my life. If you, if you really love what you do, it's not work. And so I've been blessed to either play football or call NFL games or talk about it on television and the radio. And so, um, uh, it's been a it's been a great uh, it's been a great career, and I just knock on wood want to keep it going. You know, some people are uh, you know fortunate. I think you and I are in the same boat. Where you know some people have a have a job, some people have a career, and some people have a calling. And, uh, and like you said, it's 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 just it's just not work when you're doing stuff you love to do. So it it really is, you know. And and uh, I tell young people all the time, you know, people ask me for career advice, and I said find something you're passionate about. You know, if you're passionate about it, forget the money for a second, just find something you love to do. Mm-hmm. And if you're really, if you're passionate about it uh, and, and you really want to work at it and you enjoy the process, then you're going to be good at it. Then you're going to be successful. And then certainly the money will come. But, you know, for me as a young kid growing up, I started playing organized football in second grade. I mean, I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it and was fortunate to play in high school and get an opportunity to go to the University of Delaware. And then you know, be a fourth round pick. I didn't come into the league with a silver spoon in my mouth, but I loved the process, Steve. I loved working and training and preparing and practice and, and, and studying and watching tape and, and uh, really trying to put myself in a position to be successful each week. Yeah. Our, as our former head coach uh, would, would call it, it's a, it's a discipline. And, uh, and I think that was instilled in, in, in all of us uh, back in the day. You're right. I mean, I, I talk a lot about the five P's proper preparation prevents poor performance. And I always tell young people, the best players that I played with a lot of the hall of famers, there's certain characteristics, certain qualities that they have. And I think they're, they're the hardest working and they're usually the smartest players. You know, the guys that, that come in, they work, they work really hard. They take a great deal of pride in their preparation performance, uh, whether it's in the weight room, the classroom, whether it's on the practice field, uh, you know, they do all the little things it takes to be successful. And that's really why, you know, Steve, I played 17 years. I, I wasn't the most talented guy. I didn't have the strongest arm, but I really worked at my craft. You know, I, I, I took a great deal of pride. I never wanted to be cut. You know, I, I just, I always made it difficult on, on coaches and general managers and owners to get rid of me. You know I mean? I, I just, uh, I really worked at it. And I think that's really important. You know, that's, that's why I tried to have two young daughters and one just graduated medical school. She's a doctor now. And another one who works in finance for Blackstone, New York city. I, I tell both of them all the time, 
you know, I said, what are your core characteristics and qualities that you bring to the table? And I think, you know, it, it's got to start with hard work. You know, I mean, you got to be disciplined, you got to be dedicated, you got to be willing to work hard. And I think those are some qualities and characteristics that I learned from watching my father as a young boy. Yeah, you know, nobody wins on talent alone. And, uh, you know, as a quarterback, you were the you know leader on the field. And I'm wondering what what was what was the best aspect of leadership uh, for you? Well, I think the best leaders are servants, right? I, you know, I think you know, I go back to uh, the best leaders that I can remember going back to the beginning of time. I, I, Jesus Christ, I go back to, you know, great leaders uh, that be, there were generals that became presidents. So the, the great leaders are willing to serve. They would never ask anyone, uh, one of anyone on their team to do something that they wouldn't do. You know, I think about Peyton Manning is a you know, guy that I played in four Pro Bowls with. Is a great leader, Tom Brady. You know, they 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 come in. They're the first ones in the building. They're the last to leave. They, they do all the little things it takes to be successful. And they wouldn't ask, you know, a, a first year player, even a, a you know a veteran player, to do something that, that they're not already doing. And, you know, I think a lot of great leaders lead by example. You know, you don't have to get, you don't have to be the guy that's in the front of the room screaming and hollering all the time. You know, great leaders are the ones that are always prepared, that play at a certain level. Uh, you know, they, they, I think they, they, the model of consistency, I think in our profession, anyway, football, it's all about consistency. You know, are you going to be a great player every time out, you know, or are you going to be play really well for three weeks and then you know, not show up for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, what can we expect from you? And I think when you, when you watch quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and those type of players, Drew Brees, very rare that you pick up the sports page on a Monday morning and see that one of them threw three or four interceptions. They, they just put them, they put their team in a position to have a chance to win each week based on how they play. Mm -hmm. You know, this is something that, uh, you know, that I try to teach my clients and get that message out is that as the leader, you're constantly being watched. Right? And so the role modeling has to be there because that's how people learn. They, they, they may or may not listen to what the leader has to say, but they sure watch what the leader does and then they'll model that behavior uh, so they can be successful. You're right. And unfortunately, Steve, there's different types of leaders. I played on some Raider teams in the the late nineties and the early part of the two thousands where, you know, we had some guys that, that you would classify as leaders, but they were leading in the wrong direction. You know, they were guys that were late to the practice field, that guys that didn't study the game plan, guys that weren't great in the weight room, guys that were partying all the time. And, you know, you got a young player that comes in and you see this older veteran player that's had success and you, you say, well, I'm going to follow somebody you know, and, and as, as head coaches and as, as general managers, you know, you want to have, you want to have leaders in every room, right? You want to have a leader in the running back room, leader in the offensive line, leader in the defensive line room, leader with the linebackers. You want, you know, you want to have your, your, your best players, your, your core players be, be leaders. But I played on some teams where we had some guys leading in the wrong direction, you know, mm -hmm. and that's a challenge. I mean, that's a real challenge. You, you're never going to have 53 players, that are all on board, that are all walking, uh, you know, uh, 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 hand in hand and, and step by step and, and all going in the right direction. You know, you're going to have certain players that play for different reasons. Some guys play because they love it. Some guys play because they're making a lot of money. You know, some guys play because they like the notoriety and fame, you know, you, it, it, you know, whatever your reasons are, you know, you want to make sure that your, your, your leaders are the right type of leaders. And I've been on some teams where, 
you know, you, you may not refer to it as leadership, but they're leading, you know, they're leading guys astray. They're leading guys in the wrong direction. And those mm -hmm. are the players that you have to, you know, you have to eradicate from your locker room as soon as possible, because it's, it's just too hard to win in the national football league when you don't have guys that are totally committed. Well, it's just too hard to you know, be successful anywhere uh, with those leaders. And, you know, there are lots of definitions of leadership, but the one that I subscribe to is fairly simple is that, you know, a leader is somebody who has followers. And if you have that kind of leader who's leading them in the, in the wrong direction, it shows that they do have followers, but they're a dangerous leader. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, I, I look at some of the core qualities and characteristics of, of some of the great leaders that I've been around. And I think they're, they're selfless. They're willing to put others in front of themselves. Uh, they're willing to do the little things it takes to be successful. Um, sometimes it means, you know, doing something different than you've trained to, to, to do. You know, I, I, there's, there's examples of players that have been asked to play a different position or, you know, uh, go play defense when you're an offensive uh, weapon. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's the players that are willing to put the team in front of themselves. You know what I mean? I, I always say, as I evaluate quarterbacks, I say the great quarterbacks have the ability to absorb, right, as much of the criticism as possible when things aren't going well. And they also have the ability to deflect as much of the attention away from themselves and onto others when things are going well, right? So you stand up at the podium after a game and, you know, you just won and you threw for four touchdowns. Everyone wants to talk about you and you say, hey, you know what? We hit the offensive line played well and the, the offensive coordinator did a great job you know, putting me in a position where I had a chance to make plays. And, hey, how about some of those catches that Jerry Rice made or Tim Brown? Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, you, you go out and you, you play well and the team loses, you know, and they're looking for a scapegoat. And you say, well, so-and-so dropped the pass on, on third down down the red zone or so-and-so, you know, didn't block well and give a couple sacks. You say, you know what? I can help. I can do a better job stepping up in the pocket. I can do a better job getting the ball out on time. I could be a little bit more accurate. I could do a better job anticipating and not putting so-and-so in that situation. And I think that's another sign of great leadership. You know, the ability to, to stand tall, uh, the ability to absorb some of the constructive criticism and uh, sometimes unwarranted criticism, uh, and also to understand you're there for a reason. And part of your role uh, and responsibility in playing quarterback uh, is to accept uh, when, when things aren't going well and uh, also to deflect some of the attention away from yourself when things are going well. You know, Dean Smith had the exact same philosophy, you know, the basketball coach in North Carolina. So do you believe that the primary leadership responsibility is accepting responsibility? You know, I think it's different. You know, I would tell you in today's NFL, it's a challenge because nobody wants to get up there and, and have to criticize um, or call out or challenge another teammate for fear that they may in turn be criticized. I just know that, um, you know, there's some quarterbacks in our game that aren't comfortable uh, in that situation. They, they just want to go out and play hard and, and uh, you know, they have a different style of leadership. I just know the great ones that I've been around, um, they, they, they have very little patience when things don't go well and it's not going, you know, people aren't doing the right thing. They just, they're like the air traffic controller, Steve, you know, you have an enormous responsibility, you know, mm -hmm. or you're like the captain of the airplane. You know, when you get on the airplane, you tell everyone where the emergency exits are. You tell everyone how to use the, the, the oxygen, uh, in, in the event, uh, uh, in an emergency, you tell people about how to use the seatbelts, 
you know, you have a, a big responsibility as a quarterback, you have an enormous responsibility. Mm -hmm. And if it's not right, you have to speak up. You know, if you're out on the practice field and the route's not getting run right, you, you don't necessarily wait for the, the, the receiver's coach to make the correction. You make the correction. Mm -hmm. You're the, you're the, you're, you're the captain of the ship and you got to make sure it's done the way you want it done. I've seen Peyton Manning on a Friday, stop practice and insist that we start the whole practice period over because it's not being done right. Mm -hmm. You know, correct a young player. Hey, the ball doesn't hit the ground on Fridays. We just don't do that. Yeah. We, we play to us. We play and we practice to a certain standard. And when you operate and you function that way, and that's the world that you live in, that, that puts pressure on others inside the organization. I'll give you a great example. When Peyton Manning left the Colts and went to Denver, the minute he signed with the Denver Broncos, everybody in the organization got better. If you were in the equipment room, if you were in the training room, if you were an assistant coach, you were an offensive lineman, you realized we have a significant opportunity to do something special. And the same thing happened a couple of years ago when Tom Brady left the Patriots and went to Tampa. They went on to win a Super Bowl. But people realize when you have that type of leader, when you have that type of Hall of Fame player, they have huge expectations for themselves, but also for those around them. And I think that's it's, – uh, it's unique when you have somebody like that that can come into your organization and dramatically impact the day-to-day -day function and operation of the organization just based on who they are, what they've done, and how they operate and, and how they perform. You know, my experience has shown that there's a lot of leaders, probably the majority of them, who are reluctant or even afraid you know, to provide that kind of feedback. But it's the leaders who, who are willing to give that honest feedback and spontaneous feedback, that instant feedback, who are successful because feedback is proven to be the number one predictor of performance. And so if you let it slide and, and you don't get, provide that feedback, it's just going to get worse. And so when you provide that feedback, both positive and negative, that, that's that significant impact that you're talking about. It just changes everything immediately. Well, I think in order to, to really be a, a transformational leader and an effective leader, you have to have earned your stripes. In other words, you just can't walk into the building as a rookie and all of a sudden expect to be a leader. You can't get traded from one team to another team, mm -hmm. uh, having not been a major contributor uh, and significant player at your position and expect to go to another team and all of a sudden have all the answers, right? Mm -hmm. Guys want to see it. Guys want to know guys want to see your body of work before they'll start, they'll get in line and follow you. Right. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was always a challenge early in my career. When I was in Minnesota, I was backing up early in my career and then eventually I became a starter, but it really wasn't my team, Steve, you know, the organization hadn't committed to me. Uh, and then I go to Kansas City. I get traded. Uh, I, I get traded to Washington and spent a year there and was in Kansas City for four years. And it was never really my team. Right. The coaching staff. I was kind of a backup, got a chance to play a little bit. It really wasn't until 1999 that I went to the Raiders with Al Davis and John Gruden that I got a big contract. It was my team. I hadn't been to any Pro Bowls. But at that point, Steve, I didn't care. Like I knew what I was doing was right. You know, I knew that I was the hardest working guy in the building. I knew that I was the most prepared player when we stepped on the practice field. I understood the offense. And so I was an extension of John Gruden and the, and the offensive coordinator in the huddle. And so I just said to myself, you know what? 
I know what's right. I'm going to trust my heart. I'm going to trust my instincts and I'm just going to go do this. And I'm just not going to like, I'm just not going to bow down to anybody. I'm just, I'm going to, I'm just going to lead the way I know how to lead. I'm going to lead. I'm going to trust what I, all the hard work and all that I've put into my career. I'm just going to let it hang out, you know? And, and that's why I was an effective leader. I wasn't worried about what people were thinking. I wasn't worried about what the owner was going to do. I wasn't worried about getting cut. You know, I wasn't worried about losing my starting job. I, I just knew that I gave the Raiders the best chance of winning each and every week. And, and I just thought, you know what, what I'm doing is right. I believed it uh, wholeheartedly that it, that it was right. And uh, I thought I was going to be, be a beacon of change because I knew that organization needed to change. It, it was an organization that lacked structure and discipline. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was going to bring. Well, you know, your career is well documented and it's, it's unique in that it wasn't a common it, you know, you, you had your, you know, your peaks and valleys and uh, you, you did really good things everywhere you were. Uh, but it wasn't until the end of your career, you know, that you really, you know, got, you know, got the recognition. But what a lot of people don't know, Rich, is that when you were drafted, everybody, you know, everybody who was interested in you told you that they were interested in you as a quarterback. But when you were drafted by the Patriots, they were they, they were going to turn you into a, into a multi athlete, and you, you, you. This is this is what I want to find out. Right? Is that you said no, you you and and Coach Raymond actually got on the phone because you didn't have an agent, and he set up the trade between the Patriots and the Vikings, right for you. But you told people no. I'm a quarterback. You wanted that responsibility to be that leader, right? So. This is something I've I've been ruminating about for the past, you know, 35 years, because I was in the room when that happened. What was it within you that you knew that you wanted that responsibility? Well, a a certain belief that I had in myself, a certain confidence. um, I'd put a lot of work in. I just felt like, in in fairness, Steve, I just felt like if I was going to go to an NFL training camp and change positions, Mm-hmm. that I'd, I'd have very little chance of making the team, you know? And I, I just thought, you know, I was accepted to law school and I thought to myself, I'm not going to waste three or four years of my life trying to make a football team playing a position that I don't really know anything about. Mm-hmm. I started playing organized football in second grade, started playing quarterback then and, and played, you know, quarterback every season up until, you know, my senior year at Delaware. And so I thought, you know, why would I all of a sudden go play running back or defensive back for the Patriots? And so I told the Patriots, you know, six days after the draft that, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to come. I'm like, I'm not going to come to your mini camp. Yeah, I think you made a mistake. And if you don't trade me, I'm going to go to law school. And it wasn't like um, I had a lot of leverage, you know, I just, but I, but I thought to myself, like, it just, this, this doesn't make any sense. And so they traded me to Minnesota and I got a chance to watch and learn behind some veteran quarterbacks. But you know, I think there's a certain belief system, you know, and certain confidence that you have to have to play the position. I just felt like if I was put in a position and got some good coaching, got around a good system and some good players that I could, I could play and I could be successful, you know what I mean? And I think there's, I, I always tell people, if you don't believe in yourself, nobody will, you know? And I, I just, I never forgot that as a young player, I had, a lot of confidence. I think you need a lot of confidence to play quarterback at any level. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You have to have a belief in yourself that, that you can do it. And uh, that was never an issue with me. I, I, I'd never doubted that I could, could, could make it. Uh, but I just wanted to make sure it was the right situation. Well, you know, that, 
the, 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 what you say about belief is really powerful because beliefs determine behavior. And when people have the have a really effective beliefs, behavior just changes and strengthens in ways that most people don't understand. And outside of the Delaware family, nobody knows this, is that you were never the guy, right? Maybe you were in high school, but even when you came into Delaware, there was an in-state quarterback who the coaching staff was deemed, you know, deemed him as the number one freshman quarterback, but you beat him out pretty quickly. And then he transferred to UVA where I was a graduate assistant. And I tried to keep an eye out on him for, right? Just cause he was a Delaware guy, but, and this is the thing, this is, you know, what I, you know, it's not so much the fallacy of talent, right? Cause talent matters, right? But people have more talent than one other people give them credit for or what they give themselves credit for. And then to have that belief match that talent, to have that true self-confidence, that's where special things happen. And you know, you're, you're the living embodiment of that. No, I appreciate that. You know, Steve, I think there's a, there's a combination of factors. You mentioned talent. Yeah, obviously, talent's important. You have to have talent. And we talked about the belief system, and, which is really important. But then the work ethic. I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a combination. I'm probably leaving a couple things out. But those three things are really important. I mean, obviously, you have to have some talent to play to make it from the college game to the NFL game. You have to have a belief in yourself that you can do it. And then you have to work. You have to outwork the competition. And I just think that's the one thing that – that I was most proud of in my 17 years. I mean, I, I put the work in, I mean, I was a grinder, you know, I, I it wasn't for a lack of effort on my part. And that's so important. I, I just, I tell young people that all the time, you know, it's, you gotta be willing to, to just grind and work and, and, and fight and claw for every opportunity because, you know, you never know when your opportunity is going to come. And when your opportunity comes, you got to be able to, to, to seize the moment to be able to capitalize on it. You know what I mean? But you're not going to be able to do that if you're not, you're not prepared, right? You're not physically and mentally prepared for that opportunity. And so uh, I, I just always stayed ready. You know, even as a backup quarterback, I tell people all the time, if you're not starting. It's really hard because you're not getting the reps in practice. You know, you're having to learn on your own. You have to, to get as many reps as you possibly You have to, you have to stay sharp. And, uh, you know, do it on the side, you know, and, and you just you could be sitting there, you know, in the middle of the third quarter, the quarterback goes down and next, thing you know, you're in the game and you got to find a way to put your team in a position to have a chance to win. So I think all those life experiences helped prepare me for the opportunity that I, that I finally got in Oakland in 1999. You know, I've done some work in CEO secession. And when, when I work with somebody in that in that realm, I tell them this is your only shot. And it pretty much is. People might get a shot to be a CEO one time. Right? And so you got to take your shot and you got to give it your best shot. And that's pretty much, you know, in, in just about any industry, just like, you know, your experience as an NFL quarterback. You got you were given one shot, but you capitalized on it. Yeah, you know, that's 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 the beauty of our game. I mean, you just never know. I mean, we see we see players get hurt. You see players get cut. You see players get traded. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just the, there's, there are, the one constant in our profession is change. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you have to be flexible. You know what I mean? You have to be willing to go out and, and just put it all on the line and, and, um, and, and do it at a, at a level. I, you know, Tubby said something to me I never forgot when I was a young player at Delaware. He said, the minute you think you finally arrived, we're looking for someone better to replace you. 
And, and it's so true. I mean, like even in the NFL, like the minute, like you think like, oh, now I'm a starting quarterback. Well, don't think for a second, the organization isn't looking to draft somebody who's who they can pay less money and, you know, bring along. Like that's, that's part of our profession. That's the competition part of it. You have to be able to be, you know, you have to play at a certain level and it's all about consistency. It's the consistency in your body of work. Are you the same player every day that you walk in the building? And I tell people all the time in the NFL, you're being evaluated every day that you walk in the building. Are you early? Are you late? Are you prepared? Did you oversleep? Were you drinking the night before? You know what I mean, do you know the game plan inside and out? You know what I mean? Are, are, how are you in the weight room? How competitive are you in the practice field? You know, what type of learner are you? Are you a type of learner that makes the same mistakes over and over again? Or can you make a mistake one time and quickly get it fixed and not make that same mistake again? You know, the, the, so you're constantly being evaluated. You know, we, we watch practice film every day. Every play is evaluated. Footwork, decision-making, process. You know, so that's the world that I came from. And I really embraced it. You know, I like feedback. I like constructive criticism. I want to be coached. I think great players want to be coached. Mm -hmm. Well, you're, you're just saying exactly what, what CEOs would say, is that it's consistency is, is the main thing. So what advice would you give to other leaders regarding leadership effectiveness? Well, Steve, I, I've had the, the good fortune, as I said, to, to be in the league for 17 years and for the last 17 or 18 years, come around, go around each week and call games. So you get a chance to really study and study teams mm -hmm. by watching film. Then you go out into their building. You, you go to the practices on Friday, interview the players and the coaches and the general managers. Sometime the quarterbacks, you spend a lot of time with these teams. And I think there's 10 qualities and characteristics that, that to me, I think certainly distinguish what are, what are some of the best organizations in all professional football, but also I think carry over into into other sports and other business endeavors. I mean, if you're a great organization, you have a great organization. doesn't matter if it's in a fortune 500 company or if it's in a national football league, but I think all the great organizations that I've been a part of have great continuity and consistency and leadership at every level of the organization, owner, head coach, general manager, quarterback. And I, I, I look at my former team, look at, look what the Patriots have done over the last two decades. I mean, when Brady and Belichick were together, I mean, they went to nine Super Bowls in 20 years. I mean, just think about that, right? And one seven. Of them. It's, it's an ama amazing run. And, you know, they pretty much dominated the AFC. They dominated the AFC East. Mm -hmm. And then I look at the organization that I played for and the Raiders. And when I left the Raiders, they went through 10 seasons where they had seven different head coaches and 12 quarterbacks. Now think about that. The Patriots had one head coach, one owner mm -hmm. and one quarterback. And the Raiders had seven head coaches and 12 quarterbacks in 10 seasons. Mm -hmm. That's dysfunctional. That's a dysfunctional work environment, right? It's hard to train people when you're constantly firing coaches and putting in new systems. And so that that's, that's, that's really important. Number two, I think structure and discipline within the organization is so important. Like when I went to the Raiders, we lacked structure and discipline. It was a challenge. It was, we had to overcome adversity in our own building and yet try and go to Denver and, and beat the Broncos. But I think structure and discipline, you know, there's guidelines and boundaries for every player. Every, every player knows their role. Right. And when I was with Kansas city, we had a great head coach, Marty Schottenheimer. And Regardless of who you were, whether you were a five or six time pro bowler, whether you were a rookie, just walked in the door, he treated everybody the same. We used to have a Wednesday meeting 
team meeting and we, the quarterbacks would come in at seven, the meeting would start at eight, but everyone knew to be in the meeting room at seven 55 because Marty Schottenheimer would always start that meeting early. So we were running a little bit late in our quarterback meeting. And so the offensive coordinator was Paul Hackett and the quarterback coach was Mike McCarthy who's now the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. So Mike, we start, we start running from our meeting room over to Marty's meeting room and it's about seven 56 and we go walking in and Mike McCarthy walks in first. and He's got his big binder, the, the game plan binder, and he gets about three paces into the room and Marty Schottenheimer throws him out of the meeting. And he says, don't ever come into my meeting room late. And so here he threw the coordinator, the quarterback coach, and all three quarterbacks out of the meeting. And so what was his point? The point is, I don't care who you are. Mm -hmm. I treat everyone the same. And when we start a meeting on time and it's an important meeting, it's the first meeting of the week in terms of our game plan, you better be in that seat ready to go. Mm -hmm. And so that was a message that I never forgot. I'm, I'm talking about being consistent, but everyone understood there was great structure and discipline within the organization. As I said earlier, I think number three, players are trained and, and believe in the plan. And that's so important. Like you, you have to like really believe in a plan. You can't just draft a player uh, and not develop them. You know, I mean, you have to be able to draft and develop them. Like the, the Raiders, they drafted Jamarcus Russell. Uh, they gave him $32 million over three years. And the guy, you know, was out of the league. And he just, he wasn't ready to play. He was out of shape. He was overweight. They didn't do a good job drafting him. And I just, I mean, identifying who the player was. And then once they got him in the building, developing him. We use that term, be a pro, right? And we'd say, be on time and know what to do. And, and Jamarcus Russell was one of those players. It wasn't that important to him. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so everyone has to understand the role. And you have to be able to, to not only identify who the talent is, but you have to be able to train them within your organization. And I think the other thing, number four, I'd say, Great organizations, if you look what they do, they have great communication that exists throughout the organization. Everybody understands their role. Uh, you know, there's great feedback. There's great um, uh, communication within the organization. Uh, Marty used to have this Wednesday game plan meeting, and Marty would spend a lot of time talking about how we're going to beat the Broncos. And he would he he thought he felt it was important for offensive players to understand what the defensive plan was, for defensive players to understand what the special teams plans were. And usually, Stephen, you know this as a coach, when there's a problem, when there's a problem with the play, there's a breakdown, uh, there's a sack, there's a, you know, there's a problem with the quarterback throws interception, it's usually a communication issue. Someone didn't get the, the audible check. Someone didn't get the hand signal. Someone didn't clearly hear the, the call in the huddle or clearly you know, know what to do based on uh, what was said um, you know, at the line of scrimmage. And so communication is so critically important to what we do uh, week in and week out in the National Football League. I, th I think number five, from an organization standpoint, you have to be strong enough internally to handle and deal with adversity because you know at some point in the National Football League, adversity is coming, right? Somebody's going to get hurt. Uh, you know, your quarterback's going to go down for the season with a separated shoulder. Uh, you know, I think back to uh, the, uh, the Chiefs a couple years ago. They had 15 players going to IR, including six starters, and they still won the Super Bowl. We talked about the next man up philosophy, no excuses. You know, it gets back to really training and developing your young people, but being strong enough to handle and deal with adversity. I think number six, there's an unselfish attitude that really exists and it permeates the entire building. You know, we were talking about players that are willing to play another position. Troy Brown's a great example of that with the Patriots. He was a good receiver when they were winning their early Super Bowls and Bill Belichick came to him at one point and said, we're so banged up in the secondary, Troy, I need you to go be the 
be play the dime position for us in the secondary. And Troy could have easily said, Hey coach, I'm a receiver and I don't never been defensive back. And I don't want to go over and do that and may cost me some money in terms of my next contract. He said, coach, put me where you need me to play. Unselfish attitude permeates the entire building. And uh, you know, that's, that's when you have players like that, you always have a chance to win. Um, I think number seven, you have to have a plan and be able to replace good people from your organization. You know, when you have success like the Patriots have had, you're going to lose coaches, right? You have good coordinators that leave and go to other places, become head coaches. Charlie Weiss left, Josh McDaniels left, Bill O'Brien left. You got to promote. And the Patriots historically have promoted from within, right? Gets back to training their young people. But they have the ability to replace good people in their organization. And I think that's when, you, when you're having success from an organizational perspective, you're going, to, you're going to lose good people. Do you have the ability to replace people from within your organization? And number eight, you know, I tell, I said this to a lot of good people uh, that I work with, you know, the good people, the good organizations, they don't spend a lot of time looking in the rearview mirror at what they've accomplished. Now, that's, I'm not saying that they don't go back and watch the film, Steve, and make corrections, right? You go back and you watch the film, you make the corrections, you evaluate what you did, you evaluate a deal structure, whatever. That's mm -hmm. important. But they don't sit there and say, hey, we won four in a row. We won five in a row. Hey, we just got done winning the Super Bowl. We're the, you know they are so focused on what's right in front of them that they don't spend a lot of time patting themselves on the, on the back at, at what they just accomplished. So they don't spend a lot of time looking in the rear view mirror. I always tell young people, if you get into your automobile, you got this big sheet of glass in front. It's called a windshield. And if you look up, you got a little rear view mirror. Now it serves its purpose, but we don't spend a ton of time as we're driving a car, looking at the rear view mirror. We have to have our eyes focused on what's right in front of us. And number nine, um, I think we talked about the ability to handle um, adversity. I think good teams, Steve, have the ability to handle success. Good organizations have the ability to handle success. Like I know in playing the National Football League, you know, we win four or five in a row and you would worry about, you know, players putting, letting their guard down. It's, it's very, um, it's, it's human nature to relax and rest in our laurels, right? But I think the, the great organizations have the ability to handle success. They quickly turn the page. They move on to the next challenge. Uh, and they're so focused and they trust that process, right? That process that they have in place uh, and that structure and that uh, those core philosophies in terms of team building that uh, they're, they're not really overly concerned about what they just accomplished. And finally, and I think maybe most importantly, Steve, you got to be doing it for the right reason. You know, I, I think that's so important. You, you have to be, you have to love what you're doing and you have to be doing it for the right reason. And I, I went to a luau one time when I was in Hawaii at one of the pro bowls and I ran into this Polynesian elder and they were, you know, they did the, the uh, luau's with the flame throwing and I got a chance to talk to him. And he said, this is who we are. This is our culture. This is our belief system. This is our family. This is what we do for a living. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he said they used this term, it was, it was called Kina Ole. And what it means is flawlessness. And he says, we do the right thing, the right way, uh, at the right time, in the right place, for the right reason, with the right feeling. And this is the key, the first time. Like, in other words, they don't go out and do it and make a mistake. Oh, we'll clean it up. Well, let's get no, they go out and they, it, it's all about flawlessness. It's about execution. It's, it's about precision. It's about attention to detail. 
And that's why they talk about, they say, we do the right thing. We do it the right way. We do it at the right time. We do it in the right place. We do it with the right feeling. This is what we do. This is what we love to do. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, we do it right the first time. And I just think that's, that's yeah. really important. As you talk about building a successful organization and business or in, in team sports, mm -hmm. you got to find people that love what they're doing. You got to find people that love competing, the people that want to come in and be a part of the process. You know, pe people want to be a part of change. People want to be a part of building a culture that's conducive to learning and to winning. And I don't care if you're, you know, you're selling paper, uh, you know, you're selling cars uh, or you're trying to win a championship in, in the Super Bowl. There's a lot of the same common characteristics that, that go into building a successful organization. You know, it, it, it just it just proves that, you know, leadership sets the culture. And, you know, for a lot of first time leaders, they they are either not aware of that fact or or they abdicate that 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 responsibility. And then they find out, well, wait a minute, this is this is a force that I that, that, that I have to, you know, you know, get ahead of because it's it's just more powerful than anything else. And, you know, you, you just put it in the, in, in just a beautiful way of, of, of these 10, uh, 10 principles. So I, I really appreciate that. So who were your role models, you know, your leadership role models and, you know, what did you learn from them? Yeah, I don't know if there's one, um, you know, I think my dad, when I was growing up, Steve, you know, never played. I've never saw my dad ever throw a ball. People say, well, you know, how'd you learn to throw the football? I had older brothers. I played in the neighborhood with a bunch of kids. My dad was always working. And so I never really learned, um, you know, any sport from doing it with my father. But I did watch my dad get up every morning really before we got out of bed and we'd be off to work. My dad was an attorney and he'd come home late at nights. He'd work a lot of weekends. Um, he was, he was a really good attorney and he took a lot of pride in, in, in his clients, you know, and making sure he's taking care of his clients. So I learned by watching the value of hard work. Like my dad was a really hard worker. He grew up in the depression. His uh, parents were, our, both mom and dad were immigrated from Ireland and, um, they didn't have much, you know, he grew up in, in, uh, in Philadelphia, one of 10, uh, kids. And, and so, you know, they had a tough, but like my dad worked really hard, you know, he went in, went to graduated from high school and went into the Navy and then eventually on the GI bill went to Georgetown. And then eventually as a, he was a Capitol police officer and saved some money and eventually went to Georgetown law school. And so it really worked. I mean, he had to work at it. And so to me, like when I think about a leader in a family, like he really set the, he really set the tone for, for how we went about our business. Right. And, and I learned the value of hard work from my father. And so that was really important. There's been a lot of other great leaders. My mom, you know, led in a different way, you know, she raised six children and, um, you know, was such, such a great example of, of kindness and gentleness and compassion and, and strength. And so, you know, I think, I think it starts there for me with my parents. Um, I had, some great mentors and role models. I, my high school football coach was terrific. Of course, had a chance to play for a Hall of Fame coach in college and Tubby Raymond. And I mentioned like Marty Schottenheimer was a great football coach and you know, a lot of great teammates. You know, I played with some Hall of Famers that were you know, great examples of doing things the right way and working hard. And so, you know, I, I just, uh, I tried to be a sponge, Steve. I tried to learn a little bit, a little bit from everyone. Mm -hmm. All right, so to finish up, you know, because you're such a hard worker, how do you, uh, how do you relax? How do you celebrate? 
Yeah, I think you celebrate. Um, you know, I'm not a big partier, obviously, but I, I think you celebrate the little milestones, right? Like I take, I, I, I enjoy accomplishing something every day. I mean, it may sound crazy, but like I, I write notes, the things I got to get accomplished. And, you know, I, um, I just did a three hour radio show. Now I jump on with you. And then when I'm done, I'll, I'll do a couple of, but I, I just like to get things accomplished. Right. And, mm -hmm. and when I do it, I want to, I want to make sure that I'm putting my best foot forward. I want to make sure that if I've got 40 minutes with you or an hour, it's my best 40 minutes. I give you my best stuff. And, so I think you take pride in that. And, and I think you take pride in giving back. You know, I think so many people along the way, Steve, whether it was, you know, the, the volunteer coaches when I was in grade school or my high school football coach, um, you know, people touched me along the way, people impacted my life. And so when there's an opportunity for me to help a young high school kid to go out on the field and to work with him and throwing or a college player, or even an NFL player, uh, or there's an opportunity for me to volunteer in the community or to, to give back. I mean, I think, I think we're all called to serve. Right. And so I think um, that's where I, you know, I'm, I'm at the point in my life where, um, you know, I, I can, I, my both daughters are out of the house and they're, they're doing well. So I have an, I have an opportunity to, to do more and I really relish and cherish those opportunities to give back. Yeah. And that's, that's a celebration in and of itself, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It really is. I think we get so much, you know, it's not, it's not the reason we do it, but we, when we do something like that and we volunteer, we give of our time and our talents, we usually walk away feeling pretty good about having helped somebody. We feel better about ourselves and that's the beauty of, of serving, you know what I mean? And um, that's the beauty. That's, that's part of our vocation as professionals. Yeah. There's, there's just joy in, in, in what we're giving to other people. And that's a celebration in of, in of itself. So, well, Rich, I want to thank you for your time. This has been terrific. Um, so uh, I wish you the best of luck in, uh, in whatever you're doing. And I knew you, I know you're, uh, you know, touching people in the, in the rest of society in a great way. What people, uh, you know, you know, sports is, is, is so big in, in, in not only our culture, but worldwide, but the NFL is so big in our country and, you know, and, and, and the principles of leadership, the principles of human performance that are, are applied in sports and the NFL, you know, I think business people are starting to come around and say, well, wait a minute, these things are applicable just about anywhere. And, you know, we can learn from, from, you know, from, from people who, have, who, who are champions and how they, you know, performed at such a high level. And also, were able to maintain their, you know, their, their own identity without getting lost in an ego uh, and, and doing the right things for the right reasons. So uh, I wanted to, I wanted to thank you personally for, uh, you know, for coming on to the X factor uh, because uh, your message is, is so powerful and so important. Thanks brother. I appreciate it. It's great being with you. It's great seeing you again. All right. Well, everybody, thanks so much for, uh, for listening in. Uh, we'll see you the next time on the X factor.